God be with you. We still doing all right? We're still here? Excellent. God be with you as well. Thank you. <laughs> so we're going to keep going with our fall sermon series this morning. If you are just joining us for the first time or you've been away for a while, We've been looking at the different things that Jesus calls us to, to wear, thus the wardrobe. We're looking at the different postures, the attitudes, the dispositions, the mindsets that Jesus gives us to help us be human in the way that he calls us to be. Because that's really what our faith and spirituality is about. It's about being particular kinds of people in the world. People connected with God, each other, and ourselves. People whose lives are bent towards justice, peace, grace, and love people who would live in a way that hums with reverence. And so we've been gathering quite the wardrobe already. We've got rest, we've got gratitude, indignation, generosity, and hope. And if I've sketched out the whole thing correctly, which is always a gamble, uh, we've got two more to do after this one. Um, and so just to forecast it a little bit, um, in case you need to plan in what days you're going to come to church. Uh, we'll skip next week, because that's our affirm anniversary, and we're going to be busy celebrating that. Uh, but the week after, we'll head back into this series, and we'll talk about how one of the things we're supposed to wear is, well, for lack of a better phrase that I hope to think of later, um, surrender or letting go. That Jesus calls us to, to live loosely. And so that's in two weeks. And then after that, um, on the very last Sunday of the sermon series, we're going to end the thing by exploring curiosity. And I, I want to do the thing that the worship team has heard me talk about for five years, but never actually do. And we're going to do an Ask Anything Sunday. So for the next few weeks, we're going to collect all your questions on God, on Jesus, spirituality, the Bible, on all those intersections. And we'll have a morning of being curious, of asking your questions, of exploring where it takes us, and having some fun just living out that posture. And so we need you to make this happen. On the link just outside, there is a box with a bunch of question marks on it and like 400 stacks of paper. Please don't ask 400 questions. We don't have time. Uh, but we wanna, I want to know your questions. What, what do you wonder? What do you rumble with? Um, what are the Bible stories that leave you confused? What questions do you have about daily life and how it connects to a life of faith? So write those down. Put them in the box. And then for three weeks, we'll just gather those. And then hopefully at the end of the month, just before we head into Advent, we can have a whole morning of being curious um, together. So sound like a plan? Thank you. These aren't rhetorical questions. You should know that by now. But today, uh, we'll jump back into the series, um, and we're going to talk about one thing that we talk a lot about. Arguably, it's the only thing we talk about. Today, we talk about faith. Uh, we, we talk about what it means to wear faith. And to do that, we'll end up talking about a few things. We're going to talk about two stories. We're going to talk about what Jesus saw. We'll talk about the place faith lives and the choice we always have to make. 
But as always, before we do any of that, uh, why don't we bow our heads and take a moment to center ourselves with a prayer. So God, here we are. All kinds of people, all kinds of places, but all here to hear from you. So you know what's going on with each of them. And may you take these words and use them or just speak your own. May you give us a good and hope-filled word to chew on. So Spirit, may you do your thing. Amen. So let's start with this. There's this old story about how a young man went to a wise woman to learn about life. And so after lots of persistence and a few bribes, she finally agrees to teach him. And she told him to go out and think about this question. What is truth? So go think about what is truth. And so the young man went all gung-ho and he did just that. And when the woman came back to check on him, he was waist-deep in books, reading everything that had ever been written. And the woman, she saw that and she yelled, No! You're doing it wrong. Start again. And so she came back a few months later, and the man was listening to every single podcast he could find. And he's furiously taking notes. And again, she yells, No, you're doing it wrong. Start again. And so yet again, she came back, and there was no book or no podcast in sight, but the man was busy writing down every thought he had. And again, she yelled out, no, you're doing it wrong, start over. And a few days later, the young man, just so lost and desperate, came up to her and he lamented, I've done away with the books, I've stopped listening to podcasts, I even stopped thinking. And all I'm doing now is staring at the wall in silence and feeling my heart break. Ah, the wise woman said, you're finally doing it right. Keep going. There's another old story. This one's from the Bible. And this one, it's a tricky one because this is a story about Jesus that's not actually about Jesus. If you're into reading the Bible at home, if that's something you do, one of the helpful things you can remember is that what's outside of the limelight can be just as important as what's within it. Whenever you're reading stories about Jesus and Jesus is up to something, yes, pay attention to that. It's going to be amazing and beautiful and good. But also get into the habit of looking to his left and to his right and seeing what's happening around him. Because more often than not, what's going on outside of the limelight is going to be just as beautiful and amazing as good. And I think this is one of those stories. So just as Andy read, Jesus is in Capernaum. It's one of the larger hubs in the area. And we're told he's at home. Now, that could be an actual legit home that Jesus had. It could be just a place that he was crashing. Maybe it's a rental. Maybe it's somewhere he just felt comfortable and familiar at. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. But what does matter is Jesus is now there. He's back. And the whole place is just bonkers. People have heard that he's offering a new way of understanding the world. People have heard that he heals and he restores. And so full of curiosity and no doubt a little bit of hope, they've packed themselves into that house. There's nowhere to budge. And they've lined up outside in a line waiting to get in, 
all of them wanting to get in on the action. And so let's put ourselves in the story. Let's say we're waiting out front. We're in line waiting to get in. We've each got our own reason for being there. And as we wait, we see four people kind of approach the house, and they're carrying someone on a stretcher. And they stumble their way towards the house, but instead of getting in line with the rest of us, they stumble their way back towards the the back of the house, and somehow they get themselves up on top of the roof with their buddy. They take apart the roof, and they lower their friend down into the house. And no doubt we'd all be like, what the heck? Did they just butt in line? I've been in here all day, and they just go up on the roof and tear apart someone else's property? Who do they think they are? And now let's go inside the house. We're in there watching Jesus teach. Maybe you're wherever you are, it doesn't matter. But you're in there. And there are all kinds of people in there with us. There are even some, some scribes is the word that the, the translation uses. We heard scholars, but scribes would be more accurate. And they're hanging out in some dark corner by the hummus. That's where all religious leaders hang out, always by the food. And Jesus is telling people about a new way of being in the world, and, and people's air is being rearranged. It's almost as if our world has been flipped upside down, but in this weird way where we realize that it's actually been flipped right side up. And Jesus is teaching, and suddenly, like little bits of dirt start falling on them. And we're like, what's, what's going on? And suddenly there's more and more dirt, and suddenly dirt and light are just pouring in on top of Jesus, and we see these four heads kind of poke in, looking down at us. And no doubt we're like, what the heck? Did these guys just interrupt Jesus? He was just getting to the good part. Who do they think they are taking someone's roof apart? But Jesus, you know, he looks more curious and intrigued. But when they lower someone down on a stretcher, this guy who clearly can't walk, the look on Jesus' face changes to awe. And he says to him, Son, your sins are forgiven. But over in the corner, corner by the hummus, the scribes are furious. And Jesus sees them and, and and the Greek says they were arguing with their hearts. And they yell at Jesus saying, What are you doing? You can't forgive sins. Only God can do that. That's not how it works. Who do you think you are? And Jesus, now looking indignant, says, What's easier to say? You're forgiven or get up and walk. I'm allowed to do this. It's part of why I'm here. And then turning to the paralyzed man, he says, So, son, get up, walk, go home. And the man stands up. He looks at Jesus. He looks at his friends up through the hole in the roof. And he walks out. It's a good story, isn't it? And I think it's one where if you've been in church long enough, it kind of sticks out in your memory. I mean, not only does it have the invention of skylights, I'm glad you laughed, because when I wrote that last night, I, I, I had a good chuckle. I thought that was funny. Because you know it's true. Like, someone saw that, like, oh, I like that. We're going to keep that around. But it's also comical. It's got, like, 
they're tearing apart someone's roof. It's, it's funny. It's astounding. It's moving. It's, God, it's confusing. And there's all kinds of beautiful in what Jesus says and does. But going back to the reminder we had at the beginning to always look outside of the limelight, if we look to Jesus' left and his right, I think we also see something beautiful and good and amazing there. Um, and maybe even the thing that the writers of this story want us to see from the first place. And the thing that the writers want us to see is not what Jesus did, but it's what Jesus saw. So what did Jesus see? Yeah, he saw the crowds. He saw the lineup. He saw the people full of hope and desire and longing. But the writers of this story seem really deliberate in mentioning two specific things that Jesus saw. And I think it's there in those two things that we can find something to take home and rumble with. So what did Jesus see? Well, first... He saw the man being lowered down to him on that makeshift stretcher. But he couldn't have just seen that. He'd have to see the whole story that went with it. He saw four friends' hearts break over the life of their friend. He saw four friends dare to think that their friend did not have to live like that. He saw this makeshift stretcher that they created. He saw the sweat from carrying him from God knows where. He saw them butt in line. He saw them trespass. He saw them destroy someone's property. He saw them interrupt his talk. But when Mark gets around to describing what exactly Jesus saw, what, what does he say? Jesus saw their faith. So Jesus saw the faith of the four friends. But what else did he see? He saw the scribes. Now, the scribes are an interesting bunch. On the one hand, scribes were, were, were basically human printing presses. These were the men who would read religious texts over and over and over again and write them down again and again and again, making as many copies as they could. But on the other hand, because they were that... These were also religious authority figures. If anyone knew the scriptures, it would be these guys. And so they'd regularly be brought in to solve disputes to say what exactly the rules are, what exactly the guidelines should be, and how exactly things should work. They'd be brought in to say, no, this is the rule, this is how we do things, this is how the Bible works. Easy as that. And we can see them taking on this role here. And that, that's why they're freaking out at Jesus, because Jesus broke the rules. He forgave that man's sins, and according to the rules, God's the only person who can forgive someone's sins. Never mind the fact that the guy can walk now. That's not even a point they care about. They're not interested in that. All they're interested in is that Jesus broke the rules. It doesn't work like that. That's not how we do things here, Jesus. You can't do that kind of thing. But we're told that Jesus didn't just see them being furious and didn't just see them yelling. We're told he saw something very specific. And as a Greek would say, he saw them reasoning 
Or another way to put it, he saw them arguing with their hearts. So Jesus saw two things. He's bringing our attention to the left and to the right. He saw the faith of And he saw the scribes arguing with their hearts. And so this might sound like a, like a kid time kind of question, um, but it's a good question. If you had to answer, where does faith live? Where within us is it located? What would you say? Our heart, yeah. Yeah, our tradition would say that too. Faith lives in our hearts. That's where we can find it. All throughout the Christian tradition, all throughout the Jewish tradition, the heart is where faith is said to live. It's almost as if heart is synonymous with faith. We could just as easily say that Jesus saw the faith of the scribes. If you want to have faith, our tradition says, and this is what that parable at the beginning was getting at, you need to start here. Faith begins and ends with our hearts. Faith is not beliefs. Faith is not consent to a bunch of dogmas and doctrines. Faith is not intellectual. In our tradition, faith is trust. It's being open to possibility. It's being willing to go against the grain. It's feeling the movements of something bigger than ourselves and choosing to step out into it as ridiculous and as scary as it might be. And maybe that's something that we need to remember sometimes. For those of us who live in our heads, um, and for those of us who are part of a tradition where the intellect occupies so much space and so much time, even in in our worship, this reminder of what faith is pulls us out of what we think about Jesus and God, the Bible and worship and God knows what else. And it pushes us into how we live and move and have our being, into how we work, into how we live, into how we have our relationships, into how we have our kids. It pulls us into how we do life. Because faith, it's what drives us. And it comes from here. And so if that's faith, if that's the kind of faith we're working with here, I wonder if this whole story is a story about the kinds of hearts that Jesus wants us to wear. I wonder if this whole story is about the kind of faith that Jesus wants us to cultivate. I wonder if this is a story uh, that's really asking us a question. Do we have hearts like the friends? Hearts that are open and soft? Hearts that speak loudly. Hearts that will us to do what's right even when it's wrong. Hearts that drive us to defy what is and trust in what could be. Or, do we have hearts like the scribes? Hearts that are closed. Hearts that are hard. Hearts that can't outshout our reason and our logic. Hearts that do what's right even when it's wrong. Hearts that give in to doing what's written and known instead of what could be.
And really, there's no question about what Mark thinks the answer is. All we have to do is look to Jesus. What kind of heart did Jesus have? What kind of faith did he have? Well, full well knowing he's breaking the rules. Full well knowing he's going against tradition. Full well knowing he's about to do what's wrong. But full well feeling is the right thing to do. Full well feeling that this, that, that, that this man should not live like this. And full well feeling what those friends did is amazing and world-changing. Full well feeling how God's Spirit is moving in that place. What does he do? He listens to his heart. He follows his heart. Despite all the arguing and reasons not to. Despite all the trouble he could, he could get in. Despite all the rules and conventions he would break. He was open to the idea that it did not have to be this way. And he healed, he healed that paralyzed person. And he sent him walking home. So again, what kind of hearts do we wear? What kind of faith do we wear? Are we more like the scribes or are we more like the friends? Are our hearts guarded and closed and hard and stuck? Or are they soft, open, porous and daring? There's this old story about a young man who goes to a wise woman to ask about life. And so the woman agrees, and she says, okay, I'll teach you everything you need to know. Go answer this question. What is truth? And so the man goes and reads every single book he can find, and she says, no, you're doing it wrong. He goes and listens to all the podcasts. Nope. She says again, you're doing it wrong. He writes everything he could possibly think down on paper. And she says, no, you're doing it wrong. And finally, when he comes to her and says, all I can do is just stare at the wall and listen to this. She says, ah, now you're doing it right. Keep going. So my friends, what kind of hearts do you have? Open, soft, porous, or hard, closed, and shut off. Both are faith. Both matter. Both will get you to truth. But only one will pull you into the kind of life that Jesus calls us to live. Only one will get you in on what God is doing in this world. And the choice is ours each and every day. Which one will I have? Which one will I put on? So may you choose wisely, and may God be with you. Amen.